Well, good morning, everybody. It's so wonderful to see you here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If this is your first visit to E-Free Church, a special welcome to you this morning. And I'm thankful that I get to see these bright faces that belong to The Ascent. That's our youth ministry, our junior high and high school ministry. Yes, let's welcome them to our service today. This is somewhat unexpected in that on Friday afternoon, our youth ministry gathered here at church, eager and ready to go up to the mountains for their winter retreat. And due to uh, circumstances that were beyond our control, the retreat had to be canceled. And I want to take a moment to say a special thanks to our high school pastor, our youth pastor, uh, Pastor Kevin Ahn, and our junior high director, Tim Callahan. I want to say thank you to them and to all the youth leaders and volunteers. And I want to say thank you to all the parents and especially the kids. I thank you for exhibiting a Christ-like attitude in the midst of difficult circumstances. I cannot thank you enough, all of you, parents and students, youth workers, Pastor Kevin, Tim Callahan, again, because I saw, I saw Jesus evidenced on Friday in the many hours we were here waiting, wondering if we were going to go up to the retreat. And again, due to circumstances beyond our control, the retreat was canceled. And uh, over the weekend, I just kept being reminded of a verse in Romans 8.28 written by the Apostle Paul. And he said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. He works in all things. And I trust that even despite the change in plans this weekend, that uh, we got to see God work in a special way. So again, thank you to the students and parents and all the youth leaders. And speaking of the ascent, I'm excited to share with you an opportunity that our high school students have this coming summer. Pastor Kevin is leading a team of high school students on a six-day mission trip working with an organization called YouthWorks, and they'll be in Denver, Colorado this summer, and I cannot tell you how excited I am for uh, the high school students and this opportunity. It's one of those times where I wish I was a high school student, because I'd be the first one to sign up. Uh, YouthWorks is a wonderful ministry in Denver, and what they do is they use these short-term mission opportunities to disciple students and to empower these students to love and to serve like Jesus. And so this coming summer, the students will have an opportunity to join together with those already doing God's work in Denver, and they'll have the opportunity to do some home projects, also take part in food distribution, thrift stores, and city beautification. So students, if you're in high school and you're interested, Mark these dates on your calendar, June 9 through the 14. 
June 9th through the 14th. And you can go onto the website, efreedb.org slash youth, and you can sign up with a $100 deposit. And our students will be raising their own support to go on this six-day trip. June 9th through the 14th, spots are limited. I cannot wait to see how God's going to move through this ministry this summer. And a special thanks to Pastor Kevin, because God has really instilled in Pastor Kevin a heart of compassion to, to serve and to minister and to partner with ministries that serve the way Jesus served and loves the way that Jesus loves. And so I'm going to talk a little bit more about this trip later in my message. Well, as you've already heard, February is Missions Month here at E-Free Church. Every February, we have an opportunity to focus our attention on what God is doing both locally and globally. And this year, the theme of Missions Month is Gospel Essentials. And the, the essence of the gospel is this. Jesus came into the world to offer us eternal life. That is the essence of the gospel. Jesus came into the world to offer us eternal life. And that is good news. In fact, the very definition of gospel is good news. So the good news equals the gospel. And that's why I've titled the first message in this month, The Good News of the gospel. That's kind of a redundant title, if you think about it. The good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news because in it, we find God's promise of forgiveness from sin. That's good news for you. That's good news for me. Because none of us is without sin. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that we've been in a series through the Gospel of John called The Wonders of Jesus. We're pausing for a month, but we'll come back to that series in the month of March. But if you were with us at the early stages of the Gospel of John, you might remember John the Apostle introduced us to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the, what? Sin of the world. That's good news. According to the gospel, sin separated us from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price, the penalty for our sins, and he canceled our debt, the debt of all those who would believe in his name. That is good news. And that is the gospel. And the gospel is not limited to just a group or a limited number of people. You've seen those ads where they say, this offer, only good for the first 50 people to respond. The gospel has no limit. There's no cap. That's the essence of the gospel. And throughout this month, we want to help you understand the essentials of the gospel. And along the way, what we're going to do is this. We're going to differentiate the essentials of the gospel from cultural practices, cultural traditions, cultural norms that are often confused for the gospel. Next week, Pastor Kevin will preach about how God often calls individuals and communities 
into places of discomfort. And oftentimes, in those places of discomfort, that's when God does his most creative work. That's next Sunday. I can't wait to hear Pastor Kevin share with us God's word. On February 18, two weeks from today, we've invited a special guest speaker, Larry Acosta. And he's going to come and share with us from God's word. And I can't wait to have you hear from Larry Acosta on February 18th. And then we'll wrap up our month on February 25th. We've invited another special guest speaker, a friend of mine, Mitch Fierro. And Mitch will come and share God's word. And he's going to really empower us to see how God's going to use us no matter where we are. And it all begins with the good news of the gospel. As followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, having received the good news, we now represent Jesus Christ. And so no matter where we are, no matter what situation we're in, the gospel must always be front and center. And again, the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus came into this world to offer the world, eternal life. And that was the aim of the Apostle Paul to represent Christ so that the gospel was always front and center in his life. And he would not allow anything. The Apostle Paul would not allow anything to get in the way of the gospel. I invite you to turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Now I want to read to you a passage Verses 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. I'll read through verse 23. As you make your way there, I want to say this. The Apostle Paul was the king of run-on sentences. Okay? So the Apostle Paul never came across a comma that he did not like. So he loved commas. He loved Semicolons, okay? So he was the king of lengthy run-on sentences. And so I want to read to you one of his classic run-on sentences, and then we'll go back and kind of uh, unpack it. Verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I told you he was the king of run-on sentences. But this is a powerful passage. When I was at Talbot School of Theology as a graduate student, one of our fun exercises was to take one of Paul's many long phrases and parse them or analyze them, dissect them. So I'm going to give you my summary of what Paul said here in verses 19 to 23. Here is my simple summary. Paul was willing to lay aside his own traditions and comforts in order to reach any 
audience. I'll say that again. Paul was willing to lay aside his own traditions and comforts in order to reach any audience. This doesn't mean that Paul compromised his standards and engaged in a sinful lifestyle. He didn't just go about doing things to impress people. No. He was so passionate about the gospel. And that is what gave him the freedom to just lay aside his traditions, his cultural norms, and his preferences, and including his own personal comforts in order to allow the gospel to reach any audience. In other words, here is what was not Paul's attitude. This was not Paul's approach. Hey, if you want to hear about Jesus, you need to do it on my terms. That was not Paul's approach to the gospel. But that was actually the approach of his critics. Listen as I read to you from the book of Galatians chapter 1. You can turn there in your Bibles, Galatians 1 verses 9 to 10. Paul had critics. And this was the mindset of his critics, that if you want to learn about the gospel, you must do so on our terms. Galatians 1 verse 9 says this, As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, here's what was going on. Paul's critics, they were unhappy because Paul was promoting the gospel this way. One day, Paul would eat with those in his community. Paul, by heritage, was Jewish. And so one day, he would eat with his Jewish Christian community. The next day, he'd go and eat with a Gentile Christian community, the non-Jewish community. So he'd go back and forth, back and forth, enjoying foods from both cultures. And all the while, his critics said, Paul, you are compromising. You are compromising your faith. But you see, his critics, they fail to see that the gospel breaks down barriers. The gospel breaks down cultural ethnic, and national barriers. Paul understood this clearly. His critics did not. His critics, they were part of this subgroup, this faction within the Jewish Christian community. And this faction, they pressured those outside their community, the Gentile believers, into looking like them, eating like them, and adhering to their cultural norms. Now, every culture has cultural norms, right? Every culture has traditions and practices and preferences. And oftentimes, these cultural norms, they have a strong grip on those within the community, right? That happens today, but it's not exclusive to today. In fact, it was happening in the first century. In Galatians 2, Verses 11 to 13. Here's an example 
of the pressures that those within certain communities felt. Galatians 2 verse 11 says this, when Cephas, Cephas is Peter, by the way, when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So here's Peter, one of the 12 disciples. And for a while, he had no problem eating with Gentile believers. Peter was Jewish, but he had no problem eating with the non-Jewish Christians until word got back to him from Jerusalem. And the leaders in Jerusalem were not happy with Peter. Peter, you're compromising the faith and you're eating with the Gentile believers. Peter was so affected by this that he withdrew. He stopped eating with the Gentile believers. Not only that, Peter started pressuring the Gentile believers to look like the others and eat like the others and adhere to their cultural norms. Not only that, Barnabas, another good man, felt the pressure and he also gave in. And that is why Paul boldly and publicly corrected Peter. Now, I want you for a moment here to put yourself in the shoes of the Gentile believers. For a moment. Picture yourself back then. You're enjoying wonderful dinners with Peter and Barnabas. Then all of a sudden, they withdraw. Hey, Peter, Barnabas, let's go out and eat. Um, no. We can't. Imagine how the Gentile believers must have felt. Humiliated. Shamed. Confused. Hurt. Perhaps even angry. And that's why Paul stepped in and he publicly rebuked Peter. Because he wanted to make sure that the Gentile Christians knew that they did not have to leave their culture behind and be ashamed of it. Now let's just think about how amazing God is. That this letter to the Galatian churches, written centuries ago, speaks to us today as if it was written directly to us in the 21st century. That is how amazing God's Word is. It transcends generations. It transcends cultures. You know, God has blessed the world with countless number of different cultures. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, you know this much. One of the most important lessons in any mission training is to learn the culture of the people you're going to go to. 
And we do that partly by learning the language or at least by learning phrases. Certainly, if you're going to go somewhere to a foreign land and you've not learned a single word of that culture or that language, um, go back home and learn it. Not even a single word. So we learn about other cultures through languages. And also we do this by learning to eat the foods of other cultures, or at least being open to trying the foods of other cultures. As you know, food is a huge part of any culture. Did you know that food is the number one way to be introduced to another culture? We all know that. It's the number one way. Imagine if you go somewhere, maybe to someone's home, and they invite you in, and they feed you food, and you look at it, and you go, yuck. We, we want to, we want to uh, eliminate that word from our vocabulary when we, when we go and minister. Right? Just imagine. The first word is yuck. Doesn't mean we have to love everything. We try. But you understand, because food is such a powerful, powerful bonding agent. If someone from another culture eats your food and likes your food, oh, doesn't it make you feel so happy? And it automatically creates a bond. You see, because when you share a meal, there's an aspect of acceptance. That's why food bloggers are amongst the most popular on social media. You know, now more than ever, the foods of the world can be shared across all cultures. That wasn't always the case, okay? I want you to know that, that, that what we are experiencing now around the world, it wasn't always the case. When I was growing up as a child, a few years ago, <laughs> uh, so many kids of immigrant families had traumatic experiences whenever they would open up their lunch boxes at school. And some of you know where I'm going with this. Lunches packed by immigrant parents didn't look like all the other lunches at school. And oftentimes, the kids who brought these lunches, they would be made fun of because of what was in their lunchbox. And some of the kids, they would not open their lunchbox. Some of them would throw the food away from their lunchbox before they arrived at school because they were so embarrassed. They were picked on. It was tra traumatic, traumatizing for many kids of immigrant parents. Well, you know what's so ironic about this? All these lunch items that were once made fun of are now amongst the most popular items at Trader Joe's. <laughs> it's amazing. And they're selling out at Trader Joe's. People are paying other people to go buy these items for them at Trader Joe's. Here's one such item. This is a humble Korean food item. 
Every single Korean child growing up ate kimbap. They probably made it with their parents in the kitchen. It's a simple but very versatile food because it's meant to be eaten at room temperature. So you can pack it in your lunchbox, take it to school, take it to work, take it to your picnic. It's like the universal, wonderful, all-in-one meal. And kimbap is a combination of two words. Kim, referring to seaweed, that's the wrapper. Bop, referring to rice. Kimbap is basically seaweed rice. And inside you have rice, and you've got either beef or fish cake. You've got sautéed and seasoned carrots, sautéed and seasoned spinach, pickled radish. And then you roll it up tightly, cut them up. You brush on some sesame oil, maybe sprinkle some sesame seeds, and it's delicious. And now Trader Joe's can't keep them in stock because they're so popular. Here's a pro tip for you. Just go to H-Mart. <laughs> they have a lot of it over there. It's a sign of the times. A sign of the times. We, and you know this, we have the opportunity to enjoy the foods of the world right here in Southern California. Here's another sign of the times. You can now get your boba fix at Jack in the Box. <laughs> yes! Jack is promoting boba in his commercials. It's amazing. We here in Southern California, we are so blessed because we have all the foods of the world right here in our region. If Paul were alive today and living in Southern California, here's what I think he would do. Every day of the week, he'd go to every different neighborhood in Southern California and enjoy all the foods of those neighborhoods. It would probably take him a lifetime because there are that, that many delicious cuisines out there. And he would also participate in many of the customs and traditions of those cultures. Yes, he might make some people in his own community feel a little bit uneasy. But that's okay, because he was doing that already in the first century. The good news of the gospel is worth our effort in getting to know the communities around us because we have the good news, and we ought to be excited to share the good news. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't ever want to confuse cultural preferences and norms, including social and political preferences for the gospel. I'll say that again. We don't ever want to confuse cultural preferences and norms, including social and political preferences for the gospel. Because this is exactly what Paul's critics did. And this is what Paul warned against. So, how can you and I, how can we guard against confusing cultural preferences and traditions for the gospel and focusing on the essentials? Well, it all begins with this, a posture of humility. 
And that really is the answer to every situation. A posture of humility. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that our high school students have this summer. Pastor Kevin, can I just pretend to be a student this summer? Really, I, I wish I could go. Okay. This week, I, I browsed around the YouthWorks website. And I, I just really fell in love with their whole approach to ministry. And I thank God for Pastor Kevin and his leadership in partnering with ministries like YouthWorks. Last summer, a team of our students went to Chicago and they ministered with a special, wonderful ministry there, Sunshine Ministries. And this year, they'll be working with Youth Group, I mean, Youth Works. And on the Youth Works website, I came across this statement that really touched me. And I want to share it with you. This is what I read God is already at work in individuals, churches, and communities. And we use Jesus' example of servant leadership to join the work. Throughout our partnership with a community, we listen closely, speak carefully, and serve humbly. I like that. We listen carefully. I'm sorry, listen closely, speak carefully, and serve humbly. That's a posture of humility. You see, without a posture of humility, a mission trip can easily turn into a bunch of people charging into a different culture, setting up shop, taking over the place, setting the, work, setting the rules, and saying, look out, get out of our way, we're here. We got all the answers, only to then pack up and go home in a week or two. And that's what we want to guard against. And that's why if we begin every mission trip or every conversation in life with a posture of humility and with the example of Jesus, then we could be certain that God will use us for our glory. I'm sorry, I said for his glory. And for our growth. See, whatever environment we walk into, we want to walk away knowing that it is better because God's work was evidenced there. And so a posture of humility is the right starting place. And a posture of humility is the right starting point for the month of February. We have wonderful things planned. We're going to culminate this month on Sunday, February 25th, with an exciting opportunity for you to come together and to encourage one another. We'll give you more information about that as this month unfolds.